continuing on the series on the health and mission of the church. Think about it this way. If you want to make a church unhealthy, if that is your goal is to take a church and to make sure that it is unhealthy, I think the, easy, the easiest way to do that is to have unhealthy leadership. And there's different varieties, different ways you can do that. And if you have prideful leaders, if you have dictatorial leaders, unqualified, or leaders that are just inattentive, not doing their job, not doing what they're called to be doing, or just non-existent leadership, to say we don't want to be part of the, the organized church and we'll be the disorganized church and just not have leadership. But if we want to have a church that is healthy, uh, Scripture tells us that leadership is a part of it and it tells us a lot as far as what healthy leadership is. And there's no such thing as perfect leadership in this world. Jesus Christ is the only perfect leader we have. And there's no such thing as a perfect church, perfect church members, perfect church leaders. Uh, but there are healthy things that we need to be aiming for. So to give you a big picture statement for this whole message, healthy churches are led by a group of humble, qualified men who are called to keep watch over Christ's church as those who will have to give an account. And I'm going to try to unpack uh, different parts of this statement as we go through this message. This is not going to be every possible thing that we could say about church leadership, but hopefully this is going to be some of the most important things, some of the core things that we can think about, and I hope that you'll continue to look at Scripture and to be thinking about this. And if you're thinking, well, okay, this is about church leadership. I'm not in church leadership, so I, I guess I can tune out. I can do my own thing. You know, glad I, glad I brought a crossword puzzle. I can work on that. Uh, no, I want to give you some reasons why this is for you. First of all, if we're part of a church, we want to have a healthy church. So we want to think about what does the Bible say about church leadership. You want to be thinking about what kind of leaders does the church, should we be calling into official leadership positions? And also there's informal leadership, but there's also formal leadership. And the way that God calls leaders into formal leadership positions is through the local church. And so church members need to be thinking about and knowing what, what are we looking for? Are we just looking for the, the shiny, successful people and the people with a lot of friends that are well-known? Or does God have other things in mind that we should be looking towards? And also, most of these things we're going to see for leadership are things that we should all be aiming for in our lives, growing towards whether God uses us in one of those positions or not. If we have our kids, how are we raising them? What are we raising them to be one day? Uh, whether God uses them in that type of position or not. These are great things to be aiming for for them. So, and another, this is going to tell you ways you can be praying for the church and that you could be praying for the leaders that are in the church now and those that are, uh, will be leaders in the future as well. I tell you, every year when we go through the process of selecting new board members, it is something that you know, keeps me on my knees in prayer because a church will be healthy or not, depending if it has that core of leaders at the center. So healthy churches, humble, qualified men, called to keep watch over Christ's church, it belongs to him, and recognizing that leaders are going to have to give an account. It is a serious thing. One verse that we can look at right at the beginning here is from 1 Peter. This is 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. And even a lot of the topics that we look at in this message can be found right in here. Peter, the apostle, writes, 
So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering, sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to your flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He's talking to these elders, uh, these leaders in the church. We're going to see in this message when he talks about elders, he's not here talking about those that are uh, just elderly, uh, but he is talking about a specific role that is in the church, and the churches have, uh, he's talking to have elders. And Peter is telling them to, to shepherd the flock of God. It's God's flock, ultimately not theirs, but they're called to be shepherds of it, that Jesus is the, uh, the chief shepherd, uh, but we, there are other leaders that are under shepherds caring for the flock. And we see in here, too, there's a combination of there is authority, talks about this, uh, but it also is to be done in a way that's not domineering, uh, but in many ways through being examples to the flock. So let's kind of break some of these things down and look at some of the other uh, scriptural teachings on this. A few core areas I think are important as we think about church leadership. So first, the main point, healthy churches are led by humble and qualified servant leaders. I want to talk about just humility right off the bat because I think that's one of the ways that the leadership can go sideways so quickly is when people are prideful, egotistical, it becomes about them. Uh, it's easy to give lip service to the Lord and pretend everything is for him, uh, but it's easy to let that pride that is in all of our heart take root and to grow and to view things in a wrong way. And the devil, of course, is wanting that to happen and loves to amp up pride. He did that with Adam and Eve, you know, uh, looking at them, trying to get them to be prideful, to take a step beyond uh, what they were appointed, but to make themselves equal with God. So we always have to be watching out for this. So unhealthy churches, uh, they have prideful leaders, or they could have unqualified leaders. So I want to talk about both of these things. And just a reminder that Jesus is the head of the church. And I think it's important that we remember that, because when we constantly remember that this church is Jesus' church, he is the chief shepherd of the church. Many passages talk about he is the head of the church, then we don't think it is your church, it is my church, but ultimately it is a church that we are a part of, but it is because of Jesus, it is his body, and it is for his glory. So that is, first of all, just something that we really need to always remember. And I make it a point that we try to confess this a lot. And hopefully it doesn't, isn't just a lip service, but something that we really believe, that we are here because of Jesus Christ and for him. And serving him. And Jesus, he's our example. And so we're to follow Jesus' teaching and his example of humility. Remember, Jesus is he's the Lord. Okay, he is the, the Son of God. He is equal in dignity and value with, uh, with God the Father. He's part of the, the, the Holy Trinity. He is God. And he did not consider staying in that up in heaven and all that is something that, that he did, but he came down to this earth. 
and he lived life as a, as a human being, a genuine human being, so he could go to the cross for us. And think of the other things he did as an example while he was here. It was a time that his followers, okay, he had followers, he had disciples, he was their leader, there was no question about that, but they went into an upper room and Jesus took off his outer garments and he got down and he washed their feet. He washed their feet, showing that he, even though who he was, was that example of servanthood and putting that into practice. Jesus taught this as well. Disciples were arguing about their greatness, Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying the way that the world views it is uh, authority, being in charge, is about bossing people around and having it for you. And uh, that's, I, I think that's the way you know, kids view it. You know, they want to be in charge so they can boss people around, but people don't grow out of that. That's just the way of the world, is that it's about being large and in charge and what's in it for you. But Christ's example is different. It's about being a, a servant leader. There is authority, yes, uh, but serving. And notice what it said at the end of that verse. Even the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That he died on the cross for sinners, dying for us to take our place, so that any that would put their, their faith in him as Savior would have salvation. It was the only way it was possible. He came and he served. So we need leaders to be, to be humble, and I would say this is not just for leaders. This is something that the, the whole church we want to do. We want to be humble, not people that are prideful. And, and not a false pride, because you can go to places where people are really good at putting on the, the shiny veneer, the, um, you know, look at me, uh, you know, pretending to be uh, humble. You know, you want humility, you look at me. I'm humble, I'm good, I'm better than you. Uh, it, there's, there's false humility, but he's talking about the real thing. People that really are humble and not into themselves. I think we remember who we are as sinners. We remember that we're saved by the grace of God, not by our good works or not because we're so wonderful. Um, that really helps keep it in perspective. And also God has a way too of, you know, things in life to helping us to remember, you know, kind of who we are and to, to not get all puffed up and ahead of ourselves. Being in a leadership position, remember, does not mean that you are better than everyone else or anyone else. And that's something to keep in mind. If God does put you in some sort of leadership position, it doesn't mean that you're better than, than everyone else. Um, in his book, Leaders Eat Last, author Simon Sinek tells the story of uh, a man that at one point was the undersecretary of defense. And so this guy, you know, is the, the undersecretary of defense in the defense department, that's a pretty high-ranking position. And he gave a speech at a large conference. And the decorated official took his place on the stage and began his speech. 
uh, this large conference, and he paused to take a sip of uh, coffee from the styrofoam cup that he had brought with him on stage. And in the book, it describes the scene like this. He took another sip, looked down at the cup, and smiled. You know, he said, interrupting his own speech as he got distracted looking at his styrofoam cup of coffee. He said, I spoke here last year, and I presented at the same conference on the same stage, but last year I was still an undersecretary. He was the undersecretary of defense last year, but now he, he wasn't. And he said, I flew here last year in a, in, a business, in business class, and when I landed, there was someone waiting for me at the airport to take me to my hotel. Upon arriving at my hotel, he continued, there was someone else waiting for me. They had already checked me into the hotel, so they handed me my key and escorted me up to my room. And the next morning when I came down again, there was someone waiting for me in the lobby to drive me to this same venue where we are today. And I was taken through a back entrance, shown to the green room, and handed a cup of coffee and a beautiful ceramic cup. But this year, I stand here to speak to you, and I am no longer the undersecretary, he continued. I flew here coach class, and when I arrived at the airport yesterday, there was no one there to meet me. I took a taxi to the hotel, and when I got there, I checked myself in and went by myself to my room. This morning, I came down to the lobby and caught another taxi to come here, and I came in the front door and found my way backstage. Once there, I asked one of the techs if there was any coffee. He pointed to a coffee machine on a table against the wall. So I walked over and poured myself a cup of coffee into this here styrofoam cup. And he said this as he raised the cup to show it to the audience. It occurred to me, he continued, the ceramic cup they gave me last year, it was never meant for me at all. It was meant for the position I held. I deserve a styrofoam cup. Humble leaders don't let their office or their position go to their heads. And if God puts you in a position, it doesn't mean you're better than everyone else. We deserve the styrofoam cup. Now, there's no perfect leaders, no perfect Christians, but there are qualifications that the Bible talks about and that we need to be aiming for. And as we look for leaders, and the church calls leaders, that we need to be um, looking at these things. So I invite you, if you have scripture uh, copy with you, if you have a pew Bible, to turn to 1 Timothy 3. Um, I have other verses that are uh, in the back of your outline, but I don't have these, so I want to read through this. We can't let this turn into a whole uh, sermon on all of the qualifications, but I think it's good to at least briefly look through some of these things that it says. For uh, It's going to talk about overseer or elder first, and it's going to talk about the office of deacon as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and notice here, the things that it talks about are not some of the things that the world thinks about. You know, is somebody just this, uh, uh, you, know, out, you know, going dynamic personality? Is somebody just a super successful businessman or they have, they have lots of money? Uh, there's lots of, you know, uh, friends and relationships and networking and all these different things. Uh, but God is focusing on a different set of characteristics. And I think when we look through this, there's going to be certain things that you're going to see as themes. You're going to see things that point to humility. 
uh, things that point to integrity, things that point to maturity. So let's read through this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That means that someone that uh, they live a lifestyle and that they're known in such a way that they would not be easily accused of sin or scandal, that you would be genuinely surprised if you found that out, that they have just a track record of, um, of integrity in their life. It says the, the husband of one wife. And it's talking about a, a man who is, uh, literally, it's a one-woman man. And so even more than talking about um, a number of times of, of marriage, it's talking about, is this person the type of person that is a faithful husband? Because uh, there could be somebody that they've been married just once, but they're not a one-woman man because they're a womanizer or they're um, not faithful to their spouse. Sober-minded. Oh, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. We're going to see this is the one that is uh, the big difference between elders, overseers, and deacons, is that those who are in this first office are required to be able to teach, uh, whereas the deacons, not necessarily so. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. If you have somebody that's a hothead, it's going to make an awful time for your church. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Does this mean the family is absolutely perfect? No, there is no perfect family, but it is something to be looking towards. Is how is this person... Uh, acting as the head of his family as a test case for how this person would be uh, being in an authority position in, in the church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So there it gives qualifications for the... Uh, for the overseers, which we're going to see are also called elders. And then it talks about deacons. It says, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So they're not required to be able to teach, but they need to be able to hold to sound doctrine. And let them also be first be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And I interpret this that it's anticipating that there's going to be a lot of ministry that uh, deacons are doing alongside with their, their wives, and that you can't separate the qualifications for the husband from also what uh, his, his partner is like. And so there could be things where... Um, uh, you have to look at both the husband and the wife. And so if someone is, uh, there's a problem with, you know, the wife is still growing or she's a, um, 
a slander or one of these things, that's going to make it tough for that person to be in that ministry. Then it also says, verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So these are things we should be thinking about. And notice most of these are virtues we should all be aiming towards. And this makes sense because if you have the church and you have the leaders of the church, they should be uh, growing in a certain uh, type of uh, qualities, virtues, and leaders that we can try to imitate leaders as they are trying to follow the Lord as well. I will say, too, this is a way that you can think of uh, how are you trying to grow yourself? How are you trying to raise your kids? You know, whether they're ever going to be an elder or a, a deacon one day. You know, these are, most part, these are things that we want to try and um, raise them with this mindset. And I would say, too, these are great ways for you to be praying for your leaders. To be praying for me, uh, for Pastor Zach, for the rest of the, the board members, uh, to help us to be, to be humble, to help us to avoid you know, temptations from the devil, from our own flesh. I always appreciate it. If you're praying for my sanctification, thank you. If you're praying for our sanctification, thank you. Because we have not arrived. And also be praying for one another too. Be praying for your future leaders that God is going to call up. That you don't have to wait until you know, they're on the ballot. Uh, be praying that God is raising up leaders that when the time comes uh, that, they are, that they're mature enough, that they're ready to be in these different roles. So I think humility and uh, some of these qualifications, these are things that we need to be thinking about. Second point, when I get, as we think about what it means to have a healthy church, I believe that healthy churches are led by a plurality of leaders. I could have said a group of leaders. I will say plurality, so if they, you see this word sometimes, uh, you realize, okay, this is what it's talking about. Just think of the word plural. It means that it's more than one person. I think in a healthy church, it's not supposed to be that there's just one person that is large and in charge, one church dictator above all the others, consolidating power. Uh, but in the healthy church, there is a principle of shared leadership. There's a principle of many leaders working together in order to lead the church. So yeah, in an unhealthy church, you're either going to have sometimes a dictatorship, one person just large and in charge, you know, or a problem could be even if you have somebody that is they're the one leader, uh, but maybe they're a humble person, but they're going to be inadequate. Why? Because one person by themselves, we're always inadequate. We need other people. And so I think God has designed churches that they need more than one person leading the church together so that uh, we use each other's strengths. That uh, areas that one of us is weak, another person is strong. We have different insights. We have different uh, complementary spiritual gifts working together. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, what the Bible teaches about some of these different church offices and just how this works. And I hope that you find this interesting. I think it's helpful. I think it's important to know. So first, there are two offices for the church. 
that the Bible talks about. And these are elders, overseers, and deacons. Notice we just read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it gave two different sections. It talked about the first one for overseers, and then it gave a section for deacons. And so these are the, I believe the, the two offices that are, that are there. Um, in the early church, you also had you know, apostles, but that was something for the foundational era of the church. But even Peter, in the verse we read right at the beginning, he identified himself as an elder, a fellow elder with them. So elders, overseers, and deacons, the question you may be asking is, well, where are the pastors? Do we have pastors? Uh, we have Pastor Nate, we have Pastor Zach here, and where does it talk about the qualifications for pastors? Here's how it works, is that pastors are elders and overseers. And so when it talks about the qualifications for overseers, or we're going to see when it talks about the qualifications for elders, um, the pastors are in that category. Not a whole separate category, um, but... Um, yeah, I'm an overseer and an elder for the church, uh, Pastor Zach as well. And so we would have to f- fulfill the, the qualifications there that are um, for overseers. Here's something else that's important and helpful, is that the terms elder and overseer are used interchangeably in Scripture and actually refer to the same office. Okay, so there's not two different offices that some people are elders, some people are overseers. There's some church traditions that view it that way, that they are distinct, and some that translate overseer as bishop. And so the bishops are an even higher up one. And sometimes they view the bishops as, uh, you know, being in charge of like a a whole area of, um, you know, a a state or a country or different levels. And we don't believe that. Uh, It's... Some of the older translations do translate overseer as bishop, uh, but we shouldn't think of that as exercising authority over lots of churches. That each church is actually meant to be, um, it's governing its own affairs. That we can be part of an association, okay? So, um, you know, we're a Baptist church and we fellowship with some other uh, Baptist churches. Uh, Technically, we're not in a denomination. And so if you want to say that we're a non-denominational church, technically that's true because we're, we're part of a fellowship, but the other churches that we fellowship with, they don't have say-so over our church. And we also don't have say-so over uh, those churches. And even though I'm on some uh, leadership councils for Grand Rapids and uh, the, the state, we don't, we don't have authority over other churches. You know, we, we try to help each other, we try to network, but we don't have authority over that. The authority belongs to the local church itself, through the leaders that each church, the congregation calls. But let me show you some places where it talks about elder and overseer being used interchangeably in scripture. Here's a few. Um, in Titus 1, 5 through 9, is another place where it gives qualifications for, uh, for elders. Uh, Paul writes to Titus and says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. We're going to come back to that as well. Notice it says elders in every town. And then it gives qualifications, a list very similar to what he said in 1 Timothy 3. Notice, first of all, he talks about elders. 
If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So at the end, we see some of the um, job description of the elder overseers is there to teach God's word so that they can give instruction and also contradict those that are uh, teaching false doctrine or things that are going off the mark. But notice the words that I circled here. At one point, he calls them elders, and then he shifts and he calls them overseers. And I think that makes sense because it's the same position being used with two different words together. Also, back when we read 1 Peter 5, this is what we read at the beginning of the service, and just notice this. Uh, Paul talks about, I exhort the elders among you. And then he tells them one of the things they're to do is to shepherd the flock of God. So shepherd, that's what pastors do. A pastor is a, is a shepherd for the flock. And he tells them to exercise oversight. That's what overseers do. They exercise oversight. So you th- see all these things together in the same church office. So, the terms are used interchangeably. The word elder, presbyteros, that's the Greek word for it. Uh, that word um, refers to the age. So it literally could be translated as elder. And sometimes it does mean somebody that is older, an older man. But here it's referring to somebody that's in the office of the elder. Uh, so in the Old Testament, uh, the Jews, uh, they, had, they had elders Uh, that they would go to and that provided leadership. When the synagogues were developed, the synagogues also had elders. And according to the the Jews, that the minimum age for somebody to serve in uh, the synagogue as an elder was 30. And so that was the minimum. So they saw that, you know, as someone got older, they would have more life, they would have more time to mature as a person. And so it did refer to somebody that had... a little bit more age under their belt. But then overseer, um, episkopos, refers to their task, what they're called to do. And overseer, the word episkopos literally means overseer. Epi means above and scope. Think of uh, what you do with a scope, you look, okay? And so you're, you're looking over, you're watching over the church. So it does mean that there's authority involved in this, that there's care, there's looking after, looking over the, uh, the church that is instructed, that they are, um, that is entrusted to them. I said sometimes overseer gets translated as bishop, but this gives the wrong idea because you don't see these as being over multiple churches, but they're over one church. So then the other role that we mentioned, deacon, diakonos, that's the word for deacon, literally means servant. And so that's a separate office from the the pastor, elder, overseers. And it literally, like I said, means servant. And they are to assist the elder overseers and believe as however, whatever tasks are delegated to them. They're not required to be able to teach, although they have to hold sound doctrine. And... I mean, this literally is the word for servant. 
And so uh, in scripture, sometimes it'll refer to somebody as a servant. And we don't, does it actually mean that they're just a servant in an informal sense? I mean, there's a lot of, there's many, many people here in our church that would say are definitely, you know, servants of the church. But then there's also those that are official, you know, servants in the sense of deacons in the office of deacon. So not every, um, every servant and deacon is in the office of deacon, which is a reminder to us because we're all called to serve, uh, whether we're in the office of deacon or not. Well, here's another thing that I want to have us think about as far as the Bible's teaching on on leadership. It said, healthy churches are led by a plurality of leaders, so more than one. I believe it is biblical for each church to have multiple elders and multiple deacons. More than one, plural. We saw this uh, when... In Titus, we just read, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Look at some other examples. If you start to look through scripture, you're going to see this in a lot of different places. Uh, In the book of Acts, for example, Acts 14.23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so in the book of Acts, the church is being founded and being planted in different areas. And as they would establish these churches in their more permanent form, they would appoint elders and they would have multiple elders in each of these local churches. Philippians 1.1 is another example. Look at this. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This is the beginning of the letter. And who is he writing to? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Remember, saints, that's referring to all of the believers, not just some super holy ones, but every genuine Christian, with the overseers and deacons. Remember, he's writing to one church here, and he's saying that at that church, there are going to be overseers, plural, and deacons. And there are plenty of other verses you could look at, too. Uh, Acts 16.4, 20.17, uh, James 5.4 as well. So, I think it does talk about, yeah, there's, there's multiple uh, leaders. And there's a reason for this. If you have multiple leaders, yeah, it keeps them from being one person from being large and in charge. And it also keeps us from being just dependent on the, just the strengths and weaknesses of just one person. But it communicates that you need more than one, that this is you know, God's plan for this. Now, at our church, um, technically, yeah, we have, we have two because we have... Uh, myself, we have Pastor Zach. Um, but here's something else I want to show you. Is that uh, some elders, according to scripture, are set apart for full-time paid pastoral ministry. This is not in your notes, but you can write down this reference as I read it. First Timothy 5, 17-18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, what's he talking about double honor? I think what this means is that they're, they're paid for, um, for their efforts, that they're taking care of, they're, they're full-time paid uh, for their pastoral ministry. And we're going to see this as we read it in context, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. 
So I do not um, take any offense about being compared to an ox. But in the Old Testament, yeah, the law is saying, you know, if the ox is working, let it eat. In the same way, if you have people that are they're working hard, doing their preaching, teaching, uh, ruling well, giving oversight to the church, it's okay to, to pay them so they can devote themselves to this. And it says the laborer deserves his wages. And so I think this type of elder is what we usually mean when we, what we have in mind when we talk about a pastor. You know, some of the church calls that they, they um, set apart, that uh, they're, they're paid for by the church so they can devote themselves full time to the work and the ministry of the church. And hopefully, as this verse says, ruling well and devoting themselves uh, to preaching and teaching. But notice, I think what this also implies is that there are often some elders that are, that are not paid. If there's some that are full-time paid pastoral ministry, and that's some, that there might be others that are not, um, that would be doing it uh, unpaid, uh, doing it sometimes referred to as lay elders, um, although depending what you mean by that term, uh, we believe that they're all called towards ministry. And maybe some of you come from backgrounds where there was more of a board of elders, and I'm seeing even more Baptist churches kind of move to a model where there are um, multiple elders and not just, the, uh, not just the pastoral staff or the pastor that is considered the only elder or one, of, one or two elders in the church. But there are other you know, godly men that are called up to be in that position of elder as a team working together with uh, what we refer to as the pastors as well. Now, at First Baptist, I believe that the plurality principle is really important. And so ever since I've been here, I've been trying to have our church function with this mindset that whether it was a time period, and there were some time periods here where I was the only pastor on staff, but in a way that I looked to the other men that were on the board as other leaders that let's serve and lead this church together. Not viewing myself as the, uh, the church dictator or the guy that's large and in charge or the only guy that ever has good ideas or that my ideas are somehow infallible. In fact, uh, if I'm the only person that thinks that something is a good idea, uh, good chance it's not. And if I have other you know, godly men that are mature, that are leadership around me, and you know, maybe there's something I'm not seeing, or maybe it means it's not been thought through enough or communicated well enough, or maybe it's just not time for that type of thing. And so I've really counted it a blessing to have different leaders, um, ones that are serving now, some of you that have uh, served you know, in the past, over these past nine or 10 years, uh, trying our best to, to work together um, in leading the church. Now, I do think there is a place of um, you know, God calling uh, you know, a senior pastor to provide a, a, a type of leadership, yeah, um, not just going with the flow, but serving in a way along with other people, I think, is a really healthy thing, with consensus whenever possible. And of course, in the really big decisions, you know, I believe that the congregation needs to have buy-in and needs to be part of that as well. Church, this, our deacons here really function as elders, for the most part. And a lot of the deacons that we have are really qualified to be elders. And I don't want to push something through uh, just because I think it's the way that it is. 
and I don't want to push something too, too quick, and that's always a bad idea, but I think that in this next year, it would be good for us to start really thinking through seriously um, what could it mean for us to look at a model where uh, some of these guys that already fit the description of elder and are serving in that way, that we recognize them as elders? And there's a lot of questions. And so it's not going to be a quick thing. And this, some of, uh, this is a new concept. And so right now, I'm just saying, I think this is something that we need to think about and look at. And there's different models and different ways that this could take shape. But I think I'd, it's time for us to, to seriously consider this and what it could look like for our church and how it could lead, I hope, to an even better season of health ahead for our church. You know, under Christ, the congregation invests authority to the men that it calls to lead the church. Christ is the ultimate head, and it's through the congregation that he calls these other leaders. And before I move on, too, I think also recognizing that churches have formal leadership, this is also something that reminds us uh, that there is a reason why just you and a friend getting together for coffee isn't actually a church. Okay? I know read in the Bible where it says, wherever two or more are called together in my name, uh, I'm among them. Yeah, that's talking about the church. In, in context, that's talking about church discipline. If you read that in context, and that's going to be our message for next week. Uh, but it's within a gathered church, and churches have organized leadership. So just you and your friend having coffee, that can be a good thing, but that's not a church. And we need to not have this radical independent mindset that I don't need to be part of, you know, organized church. Yeah, some churches overdo it with top-down and authority, yep. But the solution for that is not to shift to disorganized church or this radical, you know, independence of every person do whatever they want. So, last little bit here, and we'll do this really quick, is that point three, healthy churches, healthy church leaders keep watch over Christ's flock knowing they will have to give an account. And that is something that should uh, sober up anyone that is in a leadership position. Remember that one day we will give an account to the Lord for our, for our leadership. We saw this verse when we talked about church membership. Um, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So although authority, yeah, it can be abused, authority is not to be rejected. Authority is a good thing. It can be abused, but it's good. There's authority in the home, and there's supposed to be a healthy authority in the church, not just everyone doing whatever they want. There needs to be some organization and, and structure to things. And healthy churches have leaders who take responsibility to lead and care for their church. I would say as well, even healthy homes, you know, have, uh, have men that are willing to step up and take responsibility to lead their homes, not as dictators, but as Christ-like servant leaders for their homes as well. But remember, if God puts you in a position of authority, whether it's in the home, you know, as a parent in authority over your kids, as the, the head of your household, as, a, as the uh, husband, father, or in a church position, that we are still under the authority of God. And we have to give an account to him. 
And this should be a sober thing to do things in the right way. It is his flock. And finally, Acts 20, 28 through 31, Paul talks to the elders of the church of Ephesus and gives them instructions before he leaves. And this tells us more about what the leaders are supposed to do. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So things they're supposed to do, they need to care for the church, watch over the church, protect the church from wolves. There's a lot of false teachers out there. There are false teachers that slip into churches, false teachers online, false teachers in the right books, in Christian bookstores, that are teaching in seminaries and come into churches as well. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them, people that deny Christ, people that deny what the Bible teaches about sin and God's holiness, what it teaches about salvation. People these days that are calling certain things good what God calls sin, and calling sin things that God calls good. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish every one of you, everyone with tears. Notice it says, the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. You know, if someone gives you something to take care of, that you need to watch, you know, here, take this, please, you know, take care of this for me. One question that you're going to kind of ask yourself is, how much did this cost the owner? If it's a, take care of this napkin, you're not going to think too much of it. It didn't cost me too much. You hand something that's like, this is very valuable, and you recognize that you're going to want to take good care of this. How much did it cost Jesus Christ to purchase the church, which he obtained with his own blood? Church, we are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. We exist for his glory. Let's work together to follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the joy of being part of the church. We acknowledge Jesus Christ as the head of this church. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to raise up leaders for this church, uh, whether it is people leading informally, but also the, uh, the formal leaders, the uh, elders, overseers, the, the deacons, Lord God. And as we go through the process of uh, uh, nominating and uh, voting on new people for the board, Lord, may you direct it. And may uh, we as a congregation uh, look for those that have the right characteristics. Lord, help us to all aim towards those things in our lives. And Lord, let's pray for each other that we can grow to be the people that you want us to be. None of us are perfect. Keep us humble. Uh, but we do serve a perfect Savior. And thank you that we are saved completely because we are paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. pray. Amen.